Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lock Talk Radio. Hello, everyone, and we are on live from live in Cannes, France, and San Francisco is Listen, Give Live with Gail Davis and Jay Logan. Sorry for some of the technical difficulties. Jay, how are you? I am doing wonderful out here in sunny, sunny, sunny California. We're having great weather out here, and everybody's enjoying themselves, and we're ready to do this beautiful show. Uh, It's definitely a global show today. So I just want everybody to sit back and enjoy. Well, I have to tell you, we had a little bit of technical difficulty, sir. So uh, let's let's get on with the show. So, Jay, how has your week been? Uh, busy, busy week. I've been um, hanging out here with the our chapter Grammy party, which they had the San Francisco uh, Bay Area Grammy chapter party here, and uh, we have one Grammy nomination. Lettucey has been nominated, and so everybody's celebrating her nomination. That's wonderful, Jay. That's wonderful. I'm so glad to hear that there's somewhere that's out there local to you. And as you know, I've been out here for the Meetem Conference, Jay. It's been really interesting learning about the uh, music industry, Jay, from the point of view of a global outlook, you know, sometimes we get so stuck in the United States that we don't look at what the global outlook of is of music, technology, education, and so forth. You know, it's really, really, really going to be pretty interesting. And wow. then, you know, we've got the we got the football wow. game coming up. You uh-huh. know, so it's 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 really, really going to be very interesting. So, um, you know, this, you know, like, what is the news this week on, on the, you know, just news front in general in the U.S.? What's going on out there? Well, everybody's, everybody was waiting for the iPad to be released in February. Well, Apple announced you better wait till March because they're not going to release the iPad 3, and those rumors have been pushed back. So, kind of people are kind of bummed out. So, you're going to have to buy an iPad 2. Well, Valentine's Day, you won't see the iPad 3 in February. That's one of the things that's going on. And also, everybody knows that Facebook is getting ready to go public. And so that's a great thing. Everybody's excited about that to see what's happen, happening in that market. So people are assuming that Facebook might charge $9 or $9.99 a month. So people are kind of wondering what they're going to do. Are they going to stay on Facebook? Or in the future, are they going to pay a subscription? What would you do, Gail? Yeah, would you would you uh, tend to stick with Facebook if they if you have to subscribe monthly, so monthly fee? Well, you know this this is actually pretty interesting because I have heard that um, Facebook is actually going to be going maybe sold to the government. That's what the people out here in France and Europe and Asia, you know, are thinking. You know, by the way, for many of you that don't know. We have a conference out here in Cannes every January done by Read Me Dem. That's Read Me Dem at www.medem.com. And it's just pretty interesting, Jay. You know, I don't know, you know, I like Facebook, but I don't like it enough to have to pay for a subscription model. It's like what Spotify did when I was here at the conference last year and the year before. Free music, music from all over the world, and then it came to the United States in a, as I like to say, a freemium model, you know? But, you know, um, Jay, you know, we've got to talk about this stuff after because we have an amazing, amazing guest on today. He is from London. This is really an international show today. So we have Robert, who's actually on from Resilient Music, okay? Gentleman is amazing. He's doing some of the most amazing, amazing things. 
with resilient music. And so we're going to have Mr. Kirstein come right on and talk about music and brands and what's really happening in the industry today. Are you ready for that, Jay? I am very excited. Let's do it. Isn't it, Jay? We're actually live from San Fran, live from San Francisco, and we're actually, you know, doing a show with people from London. I mean, you can't get any more amazing than this. So let's bring Mr. Kirstein on. Hello there. How are you today? I'm very well, thank you, Gail. How are you? We're doing amazing, and we just want to thank you for being on the show. No, not at all. Thank you for asking me. Okay. And so, Jay, would you would love for you to meet our illustrious guest, Robert Kirstein, and he's with Resilient Music, and he's going to share a little bit about, you know, just what his company does and, you know, his outlook on, you know, just personally on the industry itself and what had him even get into the music industry as a whole. So are you ready to go with us, Mr. Kirstein? Uh, yes, yes. It's uh, it's Richard, by the way, rather than Robert. Richard, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. No problem. Everyone, I've no made worry. a mistake. It's Richard, Richard Kirstein. That's a very embarrassing mistake to have on the radio. No, sir. no problem. So, no, 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 no problem. So, um, so, so what would you like to know? Well, this is what we'd like to know. So, Jay, so as uh, you may not know, Richard, Jay Logan is a, a global producer. He's worked with everyone from okay. Bobby Brown to MC Hagner to In Vogue and everyone. So, Jay, I'm not going to go give your resume out here online. But, um, you know, this is a gentleman who really has a lot to offer us globally and the outlook of branding and the outlook of how we treat our music in relation to branding and just, you know, what he sees, you know, as a, the global future of music and branding. So, Richard, one of the things we'd like to first start out asking you is, what had you get involved in the music industry in general? What is it that you like about it? And when did you start, when did you become involved in the industry itself? Uh, well, I, I suppose I initially became involved um, in my early twenties. I, I graduated in music. I played in bands for many years. Um, made a few albums. Did a few tours. Uh, had quite a lot of fun. Didn't really make a great deal of money, um, but uh, ended up working for um, an independent music publisher called um, Zomba, which uh, in the early and mid '90s was uh, the largest independent music company um, in the world at the time. Um, I got involved in their setting up and running their sync division. Um, so that was a division uh, where the remit was to uh, place and license songs into TV programs, feature films, and commercials. And one of the interesting things about the UK market, uh, where I'm based, um, and this is quite different from the US market, is that if you're a publisher um, licensing songs, really the only channel where there are, are significant incomes to be made uh, is advertising. Um, unlike the US, uh, most TV uses are covered under um, blanket agreements with uh, the collection societies, um, MCPS, as it was then called, for mechanical rights, and uh, PPL for master rights. So there's no negotiated sync fees for most television usage. Um, and equally, in feature films in the UK, um, the budgets are but a tiny fraction in, of, uh, in the US. And so the fees available for that are very small. So advertising was really the only area where there was decent money to be made. Um, and so I spent quite a bit of time working in that area and started also putting together um, what are called publishing administration deals. Um, and these are deals whereby a commissioning body like a TV broadcaster or um, a TV or film production company creates bespoke music. Um, in other words, they hire a composer, the composer writes a um, new piece of music for that production, and the commissioning body acquires the publishing rights, um, and Zombo are then administering those rights. Um, this is very standard practice in the US, especially with US film and TV studios, uh, less so in the UK. Um, then over a period of time, it, it occurred to me that it would be an innovative thing to do that in advertising. And so I eventually left Zomba and set up a joint venture with an advertising agency called 
Bartle Bogle Haggerty, BBH, um, and set up a publishing company inside an ad agency. Um, and again, this was seen as very radical in the UK, but not that radical in the US. And I did that for quite some time and started working with a number of brands, um, both marketing and procurement divisions. And eventually decided I wanted to do something similar but running my own business, which is how uh, Resilient came about. Um, so I hope that's a sort of brief potted history of how I ended up doing what I'm doing. Um, but in terms of sort of where I see the business right now and where it's going... Um, we, just have, we just have one question on that. Um, Jay, do you have any questions before I go in? Um, I, I do, but I just I want to know, what, um, how long did it take you to establish that from coming from Zamba to your... Where you are now? What's the timeline? That's a good question. Um, uh, just in terms of years, I started at Zomba in '94, left in 2003, set up Leap, left Leap in 2010, um, and have been running Resilient since um, mid 2010. So I suppose uh, it's been a, an 18 year journey so far. Wow, great. It sounds like it sounds like it's been a pretty successful journey. One of the things I'd love for our audience and our listeners to know, you know, going from a musician background, okay, and then yeah. going into the marketing background, Richard, that's going, you know, even though all areas is part of what I do myself for a living, you know, create creativity, you know, the creativity as a musician, all right? How did you move from the creativity of a musician and into the creativity of branding? and marketing and sync and all of these other areas. How did you apply it there? Is it different for you or as a musician going into the business side or do you find them both the same? Uh, it's a good question. I mean, I got there because for a period of time after playing in bands, I started writing music for commercials. And to do that, um, I had to go and knock on a lot of doors of advertising agencies. So I started... Um, trying to learn more about how music was used in commercials um, as a composer uh, and then gradually got into conversations with people about, well, some commercials don't need bespoke music, they need licensed tracks, so can you help us find existing tracks that will work in a commercial? Um, so it, it felt like a kind of fairly gradual and natural transition. The, 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 the real steep learning curve was... Um, learning about the way publishing worked and admittedly I arrived at Zomba knowing very little about music publishing and was thrown in at the deep end but um, uh, over time I sort of picked bits up as I went along. Um, I learned an awful lot from the business affairs people there. Um, but yeah, it's I suppose it's a sort of left brain, right brain thing to an extent but it's, you know, as as I'm sure you know, you find many, many people working um, on the business side of the music industry who have or still are musicians. Um, it's it's a very common thing. Well, um, even with that commonality, don't you find, and, and I'm just curious, as a musician, you know, many musicians try to go into the business side, and I've often heard them say, and I, and I actually do ascribe to this a little bit, the right brain, left brain, it's almost like they can lose their creativity to some degree, not lose it for good, but lose it in the sense of going from that business side and having to focus on business, which is a completely different way of approach. Then, and you can be creative in business, but not the same way you can let your creativity maybe flow in singing or songwriting or things like that. Do you agree with that, or do you think it's a little more to it? It, it can be difficult. I mean, I know um, I know quite a number of very creative musicians and composers who are wonderfully talented but um, frankly uh, possess very little uh, in the way of business skills which is why they have sort of managers and lawyers to look after them. Um, I've sort of um, tried to, to combine both. I mean I, I, I've sort of recognised my own limitations in terms of my abilities as a musician. Um, I've, you know, I know many musicians who are far more talented than I am um, and so I suppose I've tried to sort of develop some of the business side perhaps to, to compensate for that. But, yeah, it's they are different skills. I think it's possible to possess both. Um, I mean, one of um, the figures I, I have a lot of respect for, although he was 
very controversial was Clive Calder, who founded and ran Zomba, um, phenomenally successful businessman, um, but was also a musician. You know, he he you know in the same breath could sit with you know someone like R. Kelly or Teddy uh, Teddy Riley and discuss the intricacies of of you know a chord progression and a song structure. Uh, and in the next breath, be you know discussing um, tax strategy with his accountants. Um, you know, a very uh, perhaps a rare skill, but he was able to combine both. Now, I would never claim to be as as talented nor as successful as Clive, but um, he's a an example of where it can be done very well to the highest of levels. That's quite interesting. Um, Jay, do you have any questions? I we're pretty, you know, this is pretty amazing to have this kind of conversation. Any thoughts yourself? Uh, I yes, um, Richard. I was, I was wondering, what do you look for in a young songwriter when you're offering a publishing deal? What are the characteristics, and how, how would you go about picking the right songwriter or talented composer? It's a good question. I mean, to, to be frank, I, I, you know, I'm no longer running a publishing company, so I'm not signing songwriters. Um, the work that I do as a consultant is acting on behalf of the brands that that I work for. So, um, typically, we are searching for um, songs title by title to a brief, um, or if we're, as I did a lot at Leap, if we are um, working on a project that requires a bespoke score or a bespoke song, um, we look for a writer who, you know, has a great track record, has had many successes in the past, um, but most importantly, is able to respond to a brief and recognises that in the sort of music and brands world, um, and this might sound rather rather brutal, um, Composers or songwriters are sort of essentially um, hired guns to an extent. They are writing to a brief, to a budget, um, to a deadline where someone else is effectively calling the shots. And it requires a certain type of musical talent to be able to deal with that and respond to it in the correct way. So when you're, when you're looking for music for your brand, are you pretty much looking for hit songs that are already established? You've already been out there. It's very catchy songs have already been published. Or are you looking for unpublished songs also? Uh, it, it, it Both. It absolutely depends on the brief. Um, uh, you know, I've worked on projects for commercials where the budget is significant. The creative brief is, you know, an instantly recognizable song. Um, and that is what we look for. Sometimes there'll be guidance around a certain genre or a certain type of lyric or a certain type of instrumentation um at the other end of the spectrum we've worked on briefs with very low budgets which therefore dictate um uh, usually an uns- uh, an unknown song quite often uh, a track by an unsigned artist um and then you know we will uh look for something that works musically but may not be known um, and, and in both cases, the way we tend to source these uh, source tracks is through a sort of competitive tendering model where we will try and write a very clear, creative and um, commercial brief, commercial in the sense of business terms, and put that out in the market to labels, publishers, artist managers, music lawyers, and see what they have um, to pitch in response to that brief. and then the tracks that come in we share with our client and maybe make some recommendations and the client ultimately picks what they like. Is there a typical royalty split that you use or is it a 50-50 type of thing or do the brand buy the song, does the brand buy the song, the whole song, the whole publishing, the whole package is one, you know, one uh, publishing deal? In 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 this context, there is no typically there is no publishing deal. It's we're talking about a straight sync license. So, okay, um, I mean, yeah, I mean, it, 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 some of occasionally at Leap, in my previous business, we would acquire the publishing in songs, but for the most part, we were talking about straight sync deals. So there was no issue of what the publishing split was. There was simply an issue of what sync fee was paid. 
if okay. it was a published if it was a published song, the sync fee goes to the publisher. If it was an unpublished song, the sync fee goes directly to the writers or their management. Yeah, Gail, I had one more question for Richard. Gail, I had one more question. One of the songwriters was uh, telling me that the uh, gold in uh, the U.K. is different than gold in America, and I would want Richard to explain that. If you get a gold record or a platinum record in your country, what is the unit? What is the unit compared to in America? Uh, that's a very good question, and I have to profess ignorance. Uh, I should know, but I don't. Uh, oh, okay. I know that it's changed a lot um, uh, over time. I mean, one of the reasons—I I mean, one of the reasons it's different from the US is obviously the UK is a much smaller market. Um, it, it's also been reduced over time as the number of records that you need to have a hit, a chart hit in the UK is is far lower than it used to be. I mean, what I can tell you is I think um, you can certainly have a UK number one single now for significantly under 100,000 units in any one week. Um, whereas 20, 30 years ago, you might have needed 500,000 or even a million. Okay. Well, thank you very so, much. And that, yeah. that is a change of market conditions. One thing I ha I have a question about resilient music. Richard, you know, sure. resilient music is the experience that you have is amazing. And so for new artists, you know, who are coming in, whether they're students coming out of university or whether they're artists who really are just coming new into this industry and they would love to, you know, be picked up by your company, you know what I mean, for the various brands that you represent, you know, songwriters, whatever have you. What advice, Richard, would you give them if they came to you? Um, that's that's a good question. Um, what's always what's always useful for for us to know is if um, artists are pitching their material uh, for a branded use, is to have clear guidelines on the things they would and wouldn't do. So, for example, um, we we work with quite a lot of alcohol brands, um, particularly in the UK and Europe. Alcohol brands are very active in artist brand partnerships. Now, some artists may have an issue with alcohol and may not want their songs or recordings associated with it. So being very upfront about that um, is useful. Um, or they may be vegetarian, for example, and not want to be involved with any um, meat products. Um, so it's also very useful to have clarity about their rights position. So if they own all their own um, publishing and master rights, that's a big positive, and that's something to express very clearly. Um, on the other hand, if their music is um, heavily dependent on samples, um, that can be a problem, but it's useful to know. Um, uh, what's also useful is that the ability to respond quickly to, re to requests. Turnaround times in the brand world, particularly for TV commercials, tends to be very short. So um, being available very quickly uh, for answers to sync requests is, is certainly um, usual. Um, doing, and I suppose the final thing is research. So if someone approaches me and I, you know, I were to um, sort of tell them privately the, the brands that, uh, which I work for, which I'm, I'm sort of not able to do in the, the context of a radio show, um, then, you know, I would then expect them to sort of, you know, do some research, look for the kind of ads those brands had made on YouTube, which are easy enough to find, get a sense of what type of music those brands like, and then if they themselves produce music in that genre, to pitch those tracks to us. Um, the what I suppose the one final piece of advice is also not to... Um, have the view that lyrics about a certain product are necessarily very attractive to a brand. So, for example, um, at Leap, we worked, amongst other accounts, on Audi. Um, we had all sorts of people ring us up going, oh, I've written a song about a car. It's going to be perfect for Audi. Now, Audi would never use um, uh, a lyric that had been written especially about a car. It would, they would probably just see, see that as being perhaps um, a little bit too unsubtle. So that's often a common mistake that unsigned artists make. And one other question that I have, Richard, is that 
you know, what, you know, I'm sure in coming to having your company and the background you had both being a musician and then have going into creating leads and now resilient music. You know, the word resilient music is something I like. And I want to ask you something. What advice would you give these same people and, and some of the mistakes that you've seen, you know, coming across your desk, coming across your desk every day, like what you were sharing about the car commercial? What are some of the biggest mistakes that you see artists make on a whole, not just in the branding, but just as artists in these days? Um, I think generally, you know, not not being able to sort of put themselves in the, the in the shoes of the person on the other side. So um, what often artists and particularly artist managers don't realise is that um, ad agencies or brands or consultants working with them like me um, get inundated with submissions. Um, uh, unlike maybe 10 or 20 years ago, um, it, it is now very attractive for artists to get involved with brands and hence um, everyone is chasing those opportunities so I think being very targeted um, listening very carefully to what's required um, when responding to a brief far better to submit one or two tracks absolutely on brief rather than 10 or 20 Um, and in some cases if you don't have what's being asked for say so and and say sorry I don't have anything that fits this brief I I won't be pitching this time Um, so I think I think being very aware of what the person on the other side needs and being responsive to that is the most important thing and the people that don't behave like that are the ones who tend to miss out and um, you know one of the other things I'd like to know too is where do you think music, technology, and branding are going in the future? That's my last question for you, sir. Uh, again, good question. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't profess to be a, a, a technology expert, so I'd probably leave that bit to others who are better qualified than I am. But in terms of music and branding, I think what's very clear is that um, brands are already beginning to replace some of the more traditional roles of the established music industry um you know as record labels contract in terms of headcount and level of investment and the nurturing of new talent brands are stepping up to take over that area um i think we may eventually see some consumer brands um acquiring uh large tranches of catalogue. I mean, so perhaps the one area where I think technology came in, I mean, if you look at how all the major catalogues are changing hands, it wouldn't surprise me if one day we saw, you know, an Apple or a Facebook or a Google buying one of the majors. I mean, given what the market cap is for those technology companies, you know, it would be small change to snap up a major catalogue for a couple of billion. Um, You know, given uh, the Facebook uh, IPO number of five Five billion dollars. Uh, I'm sure snapping up an EMI or Universal wouldn't be too too difficult for them. So that might happen at some point in the future. Um, but I, I I certainly see brands being the the, uh, the kind of curators of new talent. Um, there were some very interesting presentations at, at Medium. I'm sure you saw on, for example. Um, uh, Converse with their Rubber Track Studio, um, who are providing a great recording facility for emerging artists uh, in Brooklyn. Um, I'm sure more brands will be doing that sort of thing and and helping um, in the the A and R world uh, in a way that traditionally labels inhabited but are fast retreating from. Jay, do you have any um, leading leading questions for Richard? Uh, uh, yeah, one question I was wondering, like when you when you're branding, do you also brand movie stars along with some of the brands and images from some of the artists, the actors and stuff? Do you do that also, or is it just music? No, I I solely work in music. That's uh, that's complicated enough um, without. Uh, get get getting involved in talent. I mean, I I work with um, some other consultants whose uh, speciality is um, 
negotiating deals with celebrities. And there there are similarities in that, um, you know, whilst, you know, you pay a, a fee to a celebrity for, you know, their services to turn up and do something on a particular day, you also typically license their rights um, under a, a, a license agreement, effectively usage. So there are similarities with music, um, but I, I wouldn't claim to be an expert in that as well. So various sports figures and uh, actors and celebrities, that all falls in the same bag right there. Yeah, that, so was, that's, that's the whole sort of sponsorship area, which is, is, is related but is a sort of different discipline to um, the music area that I'm in. Okay, okay. So I was thinking about Sting, like Sting as a musician, but he's also a celebrity, he's an actor, and I was just looking at the whole Sting thing being branded with one of your brands and stuff, so I was looking at the whole picture. So that would be a situation where uh, you have a celebrity versus musician versus actor. Yeah, yeah I I think what's what's important to to be clear on is is when a brand does a deal with a say a musician for example there are various rights involved so um the brand might sponsor that musician they might ask that musician to be uh, a brand ambassador which might involve um certain duties performing at an event a sort of meet and greet um role uh, appearing in press or poster campaigns endorsing the product possibly even appearing in a TV commercial but those rights are separate from the rights that exist in that um, musicians recordings or compositions so you know you can have a multifaceted deal um, with a particular artist where you have a sponsorship deal in place via their management company or their lawyer um, and then separate licenses in place uh, with their publisher for their song and another license in place with their record label for their sound recordings. So in that context, the, art, the artist might wear three hats. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah, and so, one of, so one of the things, uh, Richard, I wanted to ask you in closing, at first I want to say thank you so much for taking the time to be on our show and share this important information with people, okay? Oh, well, thank like you, to, and you're very welcome. I would love to know, what what are your last, you know, what are your words? First of all, if someone wants to get in contact with you, how would you wish for uh, artists to connect with you, and how would you like them to send information to you to get in contact with you? Uh, well, they they can just contact me through our website, which is um, resilientmusic.com, um, just through the contact section. Um, it's What's always useful is if someone sends through uh, links to any YouTube clips they have. It's always interesting not only to hear, but to see an artist performing. Um, so uh, a very you know brief biog and... Um, links to a YouTube channel and a Facebook page um, is always useful. Um, and then that will immediately show us something about their social media stats, which gives us an indication of uh, where they are in their career cycle. Really? So you really do look for that Facebook page and that besides the website, the Facebook page and how they've yeah. actually been promoting themselves? Yeah, well, uh, in, a, in a way, I would rather look at their YouTube channel and their Facebook page to see who is who is looking at them. And in what kind of numbers? That, very interesting. And I believe Jay, you had uh, something that you wanted to uh, ask of, of Richard as well before we we leave. Yes. Um. You ever run into a situation where a brand, two brands, work together to brand? In other words, you got this brand over here, and you're doing a synchronization thing with two brands to make both brands stronger. Is that something that you might typically run into? Or work through a situation like that, or that never happened? No, it it does. I mean, off the top of my head, I was thinking of, um, as you were describing that, uh, um, Nike Plus, which was, I suppose, a collaboration between Nike and Apple. Um, so it does happen with two complementary brands, particularly when you know they can sort of co-create a new idea and uh, jointly fund some marketing behind it. 
Um, but it, it does make things more complex. I wouldn't say it happened that often, but it, it, it you know there are occurrences of it. And um, Richard, I, I have to ask this one last question before we go on. Do you believe that, you know, as a musician yourself, right now there's so many music artists out there all over the world. Our music labels have shrunk to almost literally like two or three left, okay? And yeah. now an artist can put themselves out there. Consumers have so much to choose from. Do you think that with the label, music labels not being, you know, not being as many as before, more independent labels. Our thoughts are the independent labels will now play more of a, you know, a value in the marketplace for artists because others, the range of uh, major labels that are left are not many. And also, there's another opinion that, you know, there's so many artists to choose from. It makes it harder with technology now for an artist really to penetrate and get that huge buzz, that huge following and albums, you know, sold, whether online, offline, or t- on tour. What are your your, your parting uh, thoughts on that? Um, yes, I, I, major labels are contracting. Independent labels will become um, or are becoming more prevalent and more influential. Um, I think at the top end, Adele is uh, one fantastic example of a very, very, very successful independently signed artist signed to um beggars in the u k albeit um marketed by Columbia in the u s but she's actually an independent artist certainly over here um but I think also the whole d i y movement is very strong you know artists can do an awful lot themselves via um digital distribution deals uh, aggregators who supply their product directly to iTunes and so on so um I think you know uh, Smart artists can go a long, long way before signing any deal, certainly with any label or publisher. And, you know, that would always be my recommendation. Get a long way down the road yourself before you start um, assigning rights to anyone else. I think Joss Stone has just done that with her independent label, actually. Uh, Yes, although she was initially an EMI artist, so she's sort of at the other end where she's sort of... um, uh, I mean, she, her career definitely got going as a major artist. I think she, well, she was signed to Relentless, which was connected to EMI. Well, you know, Richard, thank you so much for your time. And we would love to send people to www.resilientmusic.com. And that's Richard Kirsten. What an amazing person. And, Richard, thank you for your time. No, thank, thank you, so you very much for having me on the show. And uh, look forward to speaking to you again. All right. Have a wonderful day. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Jay, that was so informative. Yeah, uh, very, very informative. Uh, and, you know, you can learn something from everybody. And I did. I learned some things from him. And I, I think our audience really enjoyed him. It's great that we have people like that, like Richard, on the show, because the show's another side of the show where you can very much get educated from our show in the music business. And you got a lot, a lot to offer. So, I hope you guys out there uh, really enjoy Richard and uh, go to the website and contact him. I think the other thing that Richard had to offer that is another outlook from another country and how things are done in other countries. Oh yeah. And how important yeah. and how how important that is, uh, Jay. You know, and one of the things that we had announced down here in Cannes, France. I I love being able to say that we're in France. You know, I wish I could say we're sitting here in the French. Riviera with beautiful weather. It is very cold, but I have to tell you the the Mediterranean is the most beautiful, beautiful color I've ever seen. I think that maybe uh, Mayor Bloomberg can learn a lot to uh, take a, a check mark out of the Mediterranean because our our water is so blue, black, and green. I'm not sure what it is. <laughs> that's what, that that's that's definitely for another uh, radio show. But I will tell you, Joss Stone announced that she started her own record label with Bare Bones, amazing woman, and I've always thought that she had talent. And Joss Stone, as every, if you do not know who she is, please Google her or look her up on YouTube. This woman has sung. She's a woman who is from London, but she's only in her 20s, and she sounds as though she's like Mavis Staples. 
or Aretha Franklin or Celine Dion. I mean, the great things that she's doing is, is so amazing. And to take her life on and to take her career on the way that Celine Dion did as well is so amazing. So, you know, these are the kinds of things that artists can do themselves. They don't necessarily have to be from EMI. You know, one of the things our show is about is really about music, whether you're a a musician, a music artist, a writer, a photographer, any, any sort of creativity, even someone who is a corporate professional. When we say listening, we're listening for the creativity in you and giving back to that. So, you know, uh, any other things that you want to share, Jay, about that's going on that we may not have gotten a chance to share at the beginning? Um, yeah, I'd like to just say uh, rest in peace, Don Cornelius. We lost a great one, and um, he passed away yesterday. And so I just wanted to say rest in peace to Don Cornelius. Soul Train, for you guys that might know about Soul Train, I know, Gail, you might know. I grew up with that, and it really helped a lot of artists before we had the Internet. You know, basically, we everything was on TV, and so I would just like to put that out there for him, and the rest of the world uh, shares my feelings also, and just thought uh, he will be missed. You know, going to getting to um, online just a little bit, uh, I want to talk a little bit about Twitter, okay? Twitter has just rolled out some expanded brand pages for more companies. Now, you know, with what's happening with Facebook and their style brand pages, okay, you know, it really does trouble me that Facebook is going to have certain style brand pages, and they're making close to $3 billion last year. Now we turn around, they're going to have brand pages. And so, therefore, the things that we loved about Facebook and Twitter of not brands, you know, really being thrown down our throat, it's sort of beginning to happen, and then I'm hearing then now that Facebook might be going into a subscription model. Well, if you're getting the branding from the pages, and I'm sure they're knowing they're going to lose quite a bit of subscribers if they go into the subscription model, I think that's going to cause a lot of problems. Because let's look at this. Facebook was started for students so that they could keep in contact with their friends while in school or out of school. And now Facebook is in another place where they're now going to charge. That takes away from the privacy. It takes away from the reason why Facebook was started in the first place. What do you think about that, Jay? Oh, no, they have a, they have a, they have a huge market. Um, it's going to take away. And a lot, I can see a lot of Facebook fans moving on to something that's still free. So, you know, it's, they're going to probably lose a lot of share, market share because uh, people are just going to go to other social network providers uh, that are free. So it's, uh, I, don't, I, don't think they should, I don't think they should charge. I just don't think they should force people to have to be uh, their branding pages and uh, force us to have to pay. I think it's not, not the right thing to do at this time. And I can see a lot of people moving out, leaving Facebook, looking for other social networks that are pretty much free, you know. And then how do you, like you said, how do you charge money and and you got the privacy issue? You know, if people is paying, pretty much uh, they want to keep all their stuff uh, to themselves. So that's going to be, that's going to be, you're going to have to watch in the future and see how that pans out because I can't see people paying to having their business all over the place, you know, just, <laughs> you know. Very interesting what you said, Gil, because uh, I can see a lot of people moving on to something different. But they're going to—I think they're going to do it. They're going to go public, and um, they—you know—they have a huge share. Uh, I mean, they have like over two billion comments. You know, it's, it's, it's incredible. They got—you know—Facebook is so huge. So we're going to see what happens. We're going to see what Mark what Mark's going to do because. Uh, Wait, well, you know, this is going to be interesting as well. It's going to be interesting, Jay, because a lot of people who, like myself, I like Google Plus to some degree. You know, I still think it has a lot, a long way to go in interacting on Google Plus. But I think the most important thing is if, if Facebook goes down this road, Google Plus will actually start to take on a lot of the subscribers that Facebook wow. loses. And so that's my thought. That's my prediction. So that means that Facebook and Google 
could end up in a war, all right, which for subscribers will be great. But see, here's the thing. Facebook also has helped politically with Occupy Wall Street to the uprisings in Turkey and Egypt to the basic things of finding a job. If I'm paying $9 a month or more, I don't want my information open to the public, to my employer, or to the government or anything else. This is going to prove, like I said, to be quite interesting. Yes, you're absolutely right. And what you said was very interesting about Google because that's Facebook's nemesis. So if Facebook does go public and starts charging, you're absolutely right. Your prediction is right on, Gail. Google will acquire a lot of subscribers and a lot of people are going to switch over. And maybe Google is waiting for that opportunity. That's going to be it's going to be something to see. It's going to be a war, and you're absolutely right. I can see that happening. Yeah. And we don't even want to talk about the copyright issue with public domain this week. Uh, that let's save that Jay for next week when we get when the ruling comes through. But I, you know, I, oh. I tell you, what's also going to be very interesting is the YouTube issue around music with the public domain, because with public domain being reversed, I don't know if you've heard about this. The public domain is going to be reversed, so people who want to sample music or sample uh, text, text from book authors or anything like that will begin to have issues that they have to now, it reverts back to the estate. Things that were before free will no longer be free. I wonder if people who already sampled music, will they be grandfathered in or, you know, to the situation, or will they have to pay back retroactively? Wow, that sounds like kind of like a Napster situation again, all over again. So pretty much they're probably going to have to pay back. It seems like that probably is going to happen. Um, that's what that sounds like. Somebody's going to have to pay. I don't think that the people who originally had been using, you know, songs to sample their music on or works, you know, public works that were like, you know, Charles Dickens classics of stories we've read or anything like that, but I think that there will be a point where the, when the time starts, you know, that they put this into effect, they're, they're not going to, they can't start it right away. I think when we let, when they lost around the Stop the Online Privacy Act, they said, well, here's another way that we can get them. So YouTube is going to have some issues as well. It's just, this is actually an exciting time as well. It doesn't seem like it. But it's an exciting time to see where, where our direction is going not only from music, but any products or sold goods in general, you know? Really, right. it's just really an exciting time. So well, any it, last words, Jay? Um, uh, nothing. Uh, well, one last thing. I just want to say I agree with you. The courts have likely killed all the media, all the media uh, networks that copy DVDs. So these people that are out there copying DVDs, uh, that's going to stop really soon here. So I was just adding on to what you were saying. So um, we just gotta we just gotta watch and see what happens. Um, you got the cloud; everything is going to the cloud. And Apple has announced that they're no longer going to have DVDs players or recorders in their products. So they're going to get rid of all these things. So the new Apples that come out next year won't have media recorders. Everything will be downloaded and licensed. Well, you know what really gets me is we like to say, oh, there's no longer any need for physical media. That's because we tell the public that there's no need for physical media by what Apple is doing. They're no longer manufacturing machines, like you said, that will have a DVD player in it. So, therefore, you're forcing people to have no choice but to stream from Netflix or anything like that. I don't think that that's fair. I actually think that we should be given choices. To, to view DVDs rather than look at everything online. And, you know, Jay, I want to share something very quickly. I went to the library this past week, and I saw all the wonderful books in the library. And as much as I love technology, a child doesn't get that experience to go to the library and experience books from all over the world or experience where they can see TVs and, and DVDs and look at the titles and feel them and touch them and the textures. It's so important that we have a balance. It is so important because wonder and imagination is what builds a child's imagination to create for creativity, for music, for academic performance. And that's what builds us into adults to be a producer such as yourself or a writer and, and, and marketing person such as myself and all of our partners. 
And so I think it's so important that we remember to balance, balance, balance all the technology. What are your I thoughts? Mike, I thought my thoughts are with you, and I, I always thought a librarian should always have a job, and that's important also. We need the librarian because they're, they're so helpful and resource, and they're usually very, very, very nice people. So we don't want that job to become uh, extinct. I agree with you. Well, I, I, I you know, librarians are it's a very interesting thing. You can't get all the knowledge. You see, you can get knowledge from computers, and you know I'm a tech. I'm a complete nerd. But when you want to go and read and research about something, you may need to have someone to dialogue with. A librarian, you know, a lot of people don't know that there's something called library science in school. And the things that we take for granted, take teachers for granted, it's getting to a point they also want to start to begin to replace teachers. How are our children going to learn to interact and connect, you know? Or all of us, I, I found myself, you know, being here in Cannes and bringing my computer everywhere I went or bringing my iPad everywhere I went. And I just finally closed the computer for a few minutes and went outside and walked along the Quasette and looked out at the Mediterranean. It was the most amazing thing. And throwing sand or throwing rocks, we're getting to the point that we're becoming so robotic, we must definitely balance everything, most definitely. And, that, and I want to say the same, that flows into our music. We want to definitely get away and use the pen and paper and write our music out as songwriters. Or if you're a writer, write out your thoughts of your book on paper. So it's okay to type it up. Our old writers would use a typewriter. So these are the most important things to look at. So that's what I want to say in closing. Any last thoughts, Jay? Uh, you said it all, Gail. I agree with you. It's been a great show and a global show. That's all I have to say for today. Okay. Well, folks, we're heading out from San Francisco and Cannes, France, and we'll see you back in New York and San Francisco next week. Thank you for tuning in with us, and have a wonderful day. Wonderful. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.